All right, all right, all right. This was the first time in both services we had all girls. All girls. This, this was girl power weekend for, for family and child dedication. Um, so for those of you who, uh, we welcome uh, those of you who are brand new to Trinity. Uh, we love having guests. If it's your first time, we welcome you. Uh, if you're first time tuning in online, we welcome you. Uh, for the last year, the past year, we've been going through the book of Titus. And we've been going through the book of Titus in a topical way. And then over these last number of weeks, we've been talking about biblical teaching. Because Titus 2 and 1 says, I want you to teach sound doctrine. In other words, I want you to do, I want you to teach people healthy teaching about the Bible, about what, uh, who God is. And so we've, we've done that. And so last week, we talked about the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God over all of the earth and over us. We talked about it being the already and the not yet. Already that Jesus came, and when Jesus came, he brought the reign and rule of God. And so when he healed people, it was the presence of the reign and rule of God. When he cast out demons, it was actually the presence of the reign and rule of God. So we talked about the already kingdom, and you and when you and I pray and people are healed, the kingdom is coming. But we, we don't experience the fullness of the kingdom until Jesus returns. And so we talked about the already kingdom. Today we're going to talk about the not yet part of the kingdom. And that is when Jesus actually uh, returns. And so um, when, we, when we think about the return of Jesus, um, we, I think sometimes we're misled. And I think we're misled because Hollywood misleads us. Uh, Hollywood has made a lot of movies, um, a lot of entertaining movies and a lot of really bad movies uh, about the end of the world. Movies like Deep Impact and The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, and Armageddon, World War Z, and Contagion, This is the End, and even WALL-E is a, a apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic movie. And those, those, in those movies, um, in the end, the world always ends in um, disaster or catastrophes, sad stories, and there's always one human being that somehow swoops in and saves the world. I think Hollywood gives us gives a bad rap. Now, these movies are very entertaining, but I believe they sometimes mislead us. The end of the world in Christian teaching um, is, is not the destruction of the universe. It's not the destruction of the world. It really is the judging and destruction of those who are vehemently opposed to God, who resist God at every turn, who decides that I will not live under his crown, I will live under my own crown. I don't want God actually being the king over my life. I am king over my own life. The world doesn't end with the world uh, ending in destruction. Uh, the, the, the world actually it doesn't, doesn't do that. It actually is those who vehemently oppose God, those individuals being judged and from there. Now, again, when we talk about this, the book of Revelation actually lays out 
lays out what will happen at the end of time. Now, see, because God knows the future and he controls the future, he is the only one that can speak confidently and with certainty about the future. Your God claims that the power of predicting the future is his inalienable prerogative. And he has shown us what will happen in the future, and he lays it out in detail in the book of Revelation. In fact, one of the ways you can tell a false religion, one of the ways you can tell a sham religion is when a religion does not speak about the future. Any religion can speak about the past, any religion can speak about the present, but there are, you can almost to a T, almost guarantee that there are not very many or none speaking about the future, with the exception of one, and that is Christianity. Christianity speaks confidently about the future because God is the one who controls the future and he can speak very in very detailed about the future. Now listen to what God says. If you don't take, don't take my word for it, this is Isaiah chapter 41, verses 21 through uh, 24. It says, this is God speaking. Set out your case for your gods says God. Bring your evidence, says the king of Jacob. Take the stand on behalf of your idols. Offer arguments, assemble reasons, spread out the facts before us so that we can assess them for ourselves. Ask them, if you are gods, explain what the past means. Or, failing that, tell us what will happen in the future. Can't do that? How about doing something, anything, good or bad, whatever? Can you hurt us or help us? Do, do, do we need to be afraid? Say, they say nothing because they are nothing. Sham gods, no gods, fool-making gods. This is what God says of idols. Idols cannot tell the future. God owns the future, controls the future, So he speaks with confidence and certainty about the future. And the book of Revelation is God speaking in detail about the future. Now, now, we're not going to cover all of the book of Revelation today, just so you know. I know that some moms, you got to get to brunch and lunch and that sort of thing. We are not going to do the entire, but we are going to give you a sneak peek as to what we believe the Bible says about what happened. So I'm in your notes now. Here's the first thing, and it's straightforward. It's straightforward. Uh, actually, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, if you're looking on the, in the, the Bible that the church provides, it's page 1040. It's in the back of the book, you all. You can't miss it. It's the last book of the Bible. Last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. I remember, I remember when I was growing up, I did not want to read the book of Revelation because it was so scary as a kid. Eyes and, four and horses and gray horses and black horses. And like, I do not want to read the book of Revelation because it's so scary. And then when I got older and I began to understand what the book was all about, the book is actually a very encouraging book. It is an encouraging book for believers today. And I just want, spoiler alert, we win in the end. All right? We win in the end. 
So here it is. Here's the first, the first point. Christ will return. Christ will return. So verses 11 through 13. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in, uh, in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. So a lot of, lot of symbolism here. Revelation is filled with symbolism. Let's see if we can unpack it so we can understand um, the coming of Christ. So the first thing that John says, John says that John is the author of this text, the same John that wrote the gospel of John. He says he saw heaven opened up. When he sees, when he sees heaven opened up, it is, it is someone coming from heaven and coming down to earth. We know this to be, as we read the rest of the passage, we know that this person who is coming from heaven to earth is Jesus. So when John says he saw heaven opened up, it is the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And we believe this. We believe that it's going to be a literal and physical return of Jesus. Just as Jesus came and um, there was a literal coming of Jesus and he, it was, the prophecies were fulfilled with his, with his literal and physical coming, we believe also that there will be a literal and physical return of Jesus to earth and it will be visible for everyone to see. No one will be left out. Everyone will see it. And so, so we see Jesus coming from heaven, and he is riding a white horse. He is riding a white horse. The last time we saw Jesus riding on an animal, it was a gentle, um, it was a gentle donkey. It was a, a beast of burden. It was a beast of humility. And it was on his way to die for our sins. The next time, the next time we see Jesus riding on an animal, it will be a white war horse. And the white war horse represents and symbolizes this idea that Jesus is victorious. He is triumphant over evil in the world. Now, a Roman general customarily, after he had defeated a foe, he would ride through Rome on a white horse, letting everyone know that he is victor. And we have a picture here of our king, our King Jesus, the one who died, the one who was raised again, the one who ascended to heaven, the one who will come back riding on a white horse in power, in victory, in triumph over evil and wicked forces forces in the world. That is who is coming. We also see that uh, he is described as faithful and true, the text says. Faithful and true. The word faithful and true just simply means that he is reliable and that he is trustworthy and he is trustworthy and reliable in his character. And he will administer justice and he will administer judgment righteously. That there is no swaying him with, with um, there is no swaying him with emotion. That he will simply see all there is to see and he will 
judge righteously. He is faithful and true. We have leaders and kings. We have leaders and rulers who uh, they fail in their duty. Uh, they, they would not pass a integrity and righteousness test. Yet we have a king that we see in this passage He doesn't have to take an integrity test. He passes every time because he is righteous and holy in his character. He is faithful and reliable and trustworthy in his character. He is one that doesn't take bribes. He is not beholden to anyone. No one can sway him with money. No one can sway him with power. He is, in fact, righteous in and of himself. And then the text says that his eyes are like a flame of fire. And that just simply means here is that uh, there, is, there is nothing that he does not see. That everything that, uh, everything that you and I do, that our motives, pure and impure, he sees them. His gaze is holy. His gaze is righteous. This is who's coming. This, this, is, this is who's coming. He is revealing. He has revealing insight and wisdom to judge rightly. And then the text says he has many diadems, or he has many crowns. So in the first century, that a king would wear several crowns to indicate, here it is, to indicate that he was the ruler over several areas or several regions. Our king has more than one crown. Our king has more than three crowns. Our king has so many crowns, they cannot be counted. And this is symbolizing this, is that it symbolizes two things. First is, he is infinitely powerful than any ruler on earth. He is better than, he is stronger than any king on earth. He says, you got one crown? I got many. You got three? I got many. I rule over everyone, every king, every ruler. But the second thing that it it symbolizes, the diadems or the crowns represent, it, it symbolizes his infinite worth. He is worthy of every hallelujah. He is worthy of every praise. That's who's coming. He is worthy of every hand that's lifted. He is worthy of every song that we sing. He is worthy of every piece of music that is ever, ever produced for his. He is worthy. Those diadems, those crowns on his head says that he is worthy of everything we have plus some. That's who's coming. That's who's coming. Many diadems on his head, and then it says there's a name written that no one knows. There's a name written that no one knows. Now, throughout the, throughout the, um, uh, the ancient world, um, a, a name actually revealed the nature of an individual, who he is, who she is, and who or what he or she is. The unknown name of Christ This is what it suggests, that his nature, his relationship to the Father, and even his relationship to humanity is beyond our human understanding. 
there's so much about Jesus that's so big and so vast that we still don't understand. How he could be 100% God and 100% human at the same time. It is way beyond our understanding. The fact that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is way more than our little minds can understand. And so this unknown name suggests this idea that, that, there's, that, that, that we think that we know Jesus now. There's so many more depths to be plumbed. That's how big he is. That is who is coming. Jesus will return. He will return. It says his robe is dipped in blood, representing his crucifixion and martyrs, individuals, uh, his crucifixion that he died for us. And we see that his blood was enough for the forgiveness of our sins. But it also represents the martyrs who actually died for the faith and their faith in Jesus Christ. They say, kill me if you must. Chop my head off if you must. Feed me to the lions if you must. I will never renounce. I will never recant the name of Jesus Christ. Kill me. And there were hundreds and thousands Thousands of individuals even still to this day that are losing their lives for the sake of the name of Jesus. That's who's coming. That's who's coming. And then finally, he is called the word of God. It's the only time this is used in the Bible right here, the word of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the final word from God. There, there, is no, there, there is no psychics who can, who's going to give you something that God has already given us in Jesus. Jesus is the final word from God. Jesus is the voice of God. Jesus is the revealer of God. Hebrews actually says, in these last days, God has spoken through his son. And he is the one who is going to return. So Jesus is going to return. And we don't know when. We don't, we don't, that's not been advertised. But we do know that he will return. And when he returns, he's going to return on a white horse representing his triumphant, victorious um, uh, uh, power over evil and death. He, he's going to come. He's going to be called faithful and true. He's the reliable king. He's the reliable ruler. We can trust him. He does not he does not have any ounce of lack of integrity in him. His eyes are going to be like a flame. That is, he sees everything that you and I do. There's nothing that we can hide in the dark that Jesus does not see. That we see him, that there's a name, that there's, he is so big, so vast, there are things that we simply don't know about him. Robe dipped in blood, representing his crucifixion, and the martyrs who gave their lives. And he is, in fact, the revealer of God's, of who God is. So that's who's coming. Here's the second thing. When he comes, he's going to return as king of kings. He's going to return as king of kings. Look at verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16, this is what he says, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with, an, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when we talk about the army that's coming with him, the vast army that's coming with Jesus who's riding on the white horse, that army is those who are believers who have died and they are coming with him. We're riding, riding for those of us who died before Jesus comes, we're going to be riding white horses as well. We ride in white horses, and I know that's kind of cool, right? It's kind of cool. But guess what? And like some of you are like, like I want to be fighting. Guess what? You're not going to be fighting. So Jack Magruder, you are not fighting. Put up the katana. You are not fighting. This is not Avengers Endgame where we are on the, we are on the field fighting against Thanos and his crew. And some of you all are looking at me, I have no idea what Avenger game, Avengers game, Endgame is. So, it, so, so it's not that at all. But, well, what are we doing? Well, one, number one, we're following him. We're doing the very same thing that we were doing when we were on earth. We're following him. Why, we're follow, why are we following him? Because he's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that was buried in a grave. He was the one that rose again. And, the guy, and listen, anybody who raised, is raised again from the dead, I am following him. So we're following him. But not only that, guess what? We are celebrating his victory. Notice we don't have any weapons in our hands. That should have been a telltale sign. No weapons in our hands. We are following him to celebrate the victory, to celebrate his name, to celebrate who he is. He is King Jesus, and we follow him. So we're walking, we're following along uh, with him. We are linen, uh, fine linen, white and pure, washed by the blood of Jesus. And from his mouth, the reason why we're not fighting, because the battle is pretty anticlimactic. Because the text says a sword comes from his mouth, and that represents the potency or the power of his word. And as soon as he speaks, all the nations are destroyed. And the battle is over. There's no blood, there's no guts, there's no cutting heads off. He speaks and the battle is over. That's how anticlimactic it is, but that's how powerful his word is is. That's how powerful when Jesus returns, he is king of kings, and we see it as we follow him. We see it in the potency and the power of his word. And then the text says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Now, this is, this scene is pretty graphic. It's graphic in the sense that it displays the wrath of God. It shows the anger and judgment of God against sin. And I know, I, know, I know we live in a world where we don't talk about this at all. We live in a world where it's like we talk about the tolerance of God. We talk about the love of God, which I think is great. But God's wrath always runs alongside his mercy. In the 1500s, Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther and others talked about the wrath of God so much that they had to revisit and reemphasize the grace of God. I believe in our day, we talk about the love and the tolerance of God so much, the wrath of God against sin almost seems mythical. We don't even want to talk about it. 
God's love and mercy and his wrath against sin run along the same track. It must. So we see here this picture of mercy and judgment. We see here the picture of we must be balanced. We cannot be in balance. We cannot talk about the wrath of God so much where we lose the mercy of God. We cannot talk about the mercy and love of God where we lose the wrath of God against sin. The whole reason Jesus went to the cross was because of the, the deadliness of sin. The reason why Jesus went to the cross, because sin was that bad. And yet we see a picture here that when Jesus returns, there will be this, this, this pressing out of the wrath of God against sin. And on his thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's only one king. There's only, one, there's only room for one king in your life. There's only, one, there's only room in one king, for, uh, one king in my life. And this is, the, this, is the, this is the demonstration of that. When he says, King of kings and Lord of lords, he is actually saying there is no more room for any other king. So, so this is interesting. A couple of years ago, Burger King decided they were going to put their first Burger King in Belgium. And so they, uh, they built the Burger King and they began to do a uh, kind of promotion online as well as uh, so through social media and so forth and so on. So they kind of cartoonized um, King Philip, the king of Belgium, who is still king to this day. And then they had Burger King. And the question they asked, they literally asked all of the Belgians, like, who is king? The interesting thing is, is that the royal family got wind of this, and the royal family got upset can you imagine that King Philip got upset because of the promotion, who is king, either Burger King or King Philip? And they had to take the marketing down because the family was actually saying there's only room for one king in Belgium, and that is King Philip. This passage, I believe, is helping us to all understand that Jesus is saying there's only room for one king. And it's not Marvin. It's not you. It's not your family. It's not your mother. It's not your father. This is not your children. There's, it's not your agenda. There's only room for one king, only one crown, and that is King Jesus. And yet we make ourselves king all the time. All the time we set up our own agenda. And I believe we have to remind ourselves of this phrase, this simple phrase. He is king of kings and lord of lords. That includes my kingdom as well. So he will return. And he will return as king of kings. And then finally, he will return as judge. He will return as judge. I'm going to read the passage. There's, this is so graphic, graphic in the sense that um, um, those who resisted God, those who opposed God, those who vehemently resisted him, 
Um, they are judged, they are destroyed, and um, birds eat up their flesh. Then I saw, like, wow, what, a, what an amazing Mother's Day message, Marvin. I'm like, wow. <laughs> wow, I'm leaving here. I feel so motherly right now. So we're giving you the word of God. We want to give you the word of God in such a way that lives are different. Love Mother's Day? Absolutely do. Wait till Father's Day come, right? I got to have another message for that, right, Marilyn? All right, let's read the passage. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. Now, this is a supper of God, not the supper of the Lamb where you and I will be. This is the supper of God where those who vehemently opposed and resisted God, they are now food for the birds. Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat of the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is in his presence had done the signs by which he had, he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword uh, that came uh, from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. We know that Satan and every one who resisted God, all evil will be done away with at that time. Pretty graphic, yet we see Jesus is going to return. He's going to return as king of kings, or all rulers, and he's going to come to judge. He came the first time to show God's amazing love. The second time, there will be judgment in his hands. So Marvin, what does this really, really sad message mean for us today? I got three things for you. First, choose a side. Today, choose a side. If you have been opposing God, resisting God, if you have said, God, I don't, I don't, I, like, I don't even believe that stuff. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, now again, you can, you can hold that. You can hold that. But, but, but we believe that at the, at the end of this age, there will, be, there will be this sense of judgment that comes, that Jesus is going to come, and, and he is going to be looking for those who trusted him and those who resist him and oppose him. They will suffer the consequences. So today, choose a side. 
Whether, whether Jesus is king, he is king or he is not. Either he is going to be king or you're king. You're going to live according to his agenda or his agenda. He is a loving king. He is a compassionate king. He is a king that says, I will, I will give you, I will help you to understand the value of the life that I've given you. But today, for God's sake, don't put it off. Choose a side. Jesus died. He was buried in a grave, and he rose again on the third day, and by faith in him, you can have eternal life right now. Choose a side. The reason why God is waiting right now, the reason why Jesus hasn't come back is because he's a merciful God. He is waiting for people to repent. He is waiting for people to turn from their sin and to turn to him. The reason why it's been 2,000 years is because God says, I love you so much. I want you to understand that I have a plan for your life. That's the reason my son has not come back yet is because I love you and I'm having mercy on you Right now, I'm having mercy on your family and your friends and your coworkers because I want you to tell them about me. Choose a side, whether he is God or not. He will be God whether you choose or not, but I would rather you choose today. Choose a side now and not be caught up in the riptide of God's judgment. Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, remain faithful to Jesus. Remain faithful to him. I know life gets hard. I know that you don't, like I don't know if I believe the Bible anymore. I know some of you are deconstructing your faith right now. I don't know if I believe that Jesus rose again. I don't even know if Jesus is real. I don't even know if God is real. And but I, I, know, I, I know I made a decision, but I am tired. I, I don't want to keep going. I want to live like the world lives. I want to sin like the world sins. I don't want to feel the conviction of the Spirit of God anymore. I want you to listen Hear me, hear me, endure. Keep reading the scriptures. Keep praying. Keep living in community. Keep singing. Keep worshiping, even when you don't feel like it. Jesus is king, and he's inviting all of us to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'm tired, but I'm going to keep walking. I'm weeping, but I'm going to keep walking. I don't know if I believe, but I'm going to keep walking. Cry out like that father, I believe, but Jesus, help my unbelief. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. And then finally, keep fighting evil. Keep fighting evil. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors. We are light in the midst of darkness. We, when we walk into dark places, we ought to light up the place because we have been given the light of Jesus. Fight evil wherever we find it. Fight injustice wherever we find it. We are ambassadors. We don't have time to just sit back and sit in our, in, in our homes and close our garages. The world is dying. The world is being destroyed. And guess what? We cannot withdraw from the world. We are called to be a presence in the world. So when you go to work tomorrow, light up the place. When you go back home, light up the place. 
Because God has called us to be light, to keep fighting evil in the world. Jesus is going to return. He's going to return as king of kings. And he's going to return to judge. What do we do with it? Choose a side. Choose a king. Remain faithful even when it's hard. And keep fighting evil. Now, what do we do while we wait? You got to come back next week for that. <laughs> got to come back next week for what do you do and what do we do while we wait. Let's stand. I'm done. Let's have a closing prayer. Get you all to brunch. Hey, elders, deacons, prayer team members, if you can come forward now. If you are here today, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, please, 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 if I were you, I would not leave this place without trusting him as your Savior. If you're here today and you want someone to pray with you, we have our prayer team, elders, deacons, who say they, it's their joy to pray for you uh, in this space. So let me pray for us. So, God, thank you for being a God who controls the future, who knows the future. You've laid it out for us in your word, given it to us in vivid detail. One day your son is going to return. He's going to return as king of kings. He's already that because of his death and resurrection. But he's going to come back in the fullness of his kingship, and we'll see him. And, um, and he's going to come to judge, and that breaks our heart because... There are going to be so many people who, man, who, who they're caught up in the riptide because they just refuse to believe. And it um, breaks our heart even more. There's not going to be a second chance or a third chance to, like, oh, I, I, I mean, I, I wish it was more clear. God, you've made it as clear as it can be, the coming of your son. So I pray your blessing over your people. I pray this week would be a week where we light up the world with our words, with our lives, the way we do our lives before our friends. And we pray you would give us opportunity this week to talk to someone who doesn't know your son. Thank you for your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. And again, happy Mother's Day.